Happy New Year, everybody. All right. What did, you, what did Joel say? The faithful remnant? I think that's great. You know, I love big crowds. I mean, crowds are awesome. They make you feel good. It's easy to get fired up. And, I mean, so many people that you know that you're going to, you know, go out with the message of Jesus. But sometimes it's fun to be a little more intimate and have just your closest friends who, uh, who uh, did not get scared away by the weather, whether you wanted to or not, or, um, and found a way during the holidays to be here. So now the only thing with a small crowd is uh, I'm going to bring the message, but you guys still have to bring the energy of a full full auditorium here, right? Y'all up for that? <laughs> Why are you laughing? You can do this. There you go. Right there. That's the energy we're looking for. Uh, I was in the army, and in the, whenever this happened in the army, they would just make everybody come forward to the first three rows. Now, I know I won't even try that because you wouldn't do it even if I told you to do it. But um, so the pressure's on you, which means uh, um, if, I, if I make a joke, even if it's not funny, you need to laugh. And uh, um, kids, I'm glad you're here because you're going to help us bring the energy today. Does that sound good? Kids, you up to this? All right. Kids, so here's the deal. For little kids, big kids, kids my age, like Joelle said, I've got the, uh, the, uh, the clipboards in the back. There's a word search that goes along with our passage. What a cool way to follow along with the message. And I am, uh, uh, because this is one of those weird Sundays, I'm doing unconventional things to just kind of have fun together. And I'm going to bribe, ooh, I'm throwing microphones on the ground. No, I'm, uh, I've got candy here for who, uh, any kids that come and show me that they did the word search, or even if you didn't do the word search, if you learned something, you can come up to and uh, uh, tell me something that you, one of the words you found and why it was important. I got a couple pieces of candy for you. And there's a few blanks on your word search at the bottom, and those are main points from the message. So when we get to a main point, I'll help you out and say, hey, look, this is the word you're looking for. Okay, so that's what we're going to do there. And the reason this microphone is here that I just threw on the ground is because I'm going to see if... Uh, I can get some help from uh, maybe two Houston kids that are feeling brave to read. You're already included in stuff, so I'm going to see if somebody else is interested. Um, would anybody like to read for us this morning? You see, here's the deal while you think about it. Uh, we are in the book of Revelation. Revelation is a book full of prophecy. That's what it's well known for. It's, it's called, technically called the apocalypse. Revelation is the apocalypse. So apocalyptic literature is, is symbolic language and lots of signs and symbols. And that's all in there. And if you're here during our Advent series, we focus a lot on that and the future things that are addressed as we recognize the reality of how we should live in light of future things. But Revelation is a message to the church. It was addressed to seven different churches throughout Asia uh, at the time, and uh, seven prominent churches in Asia. And, I mean, these are letters to the church. And they weren't just letters to those churches back then. It's a letter that is so important to us. So does anybody want to read today? Is anybody feeling brave and bold? If not, I might let my man Nolan do both of that. He would love that. But, okay. All right. Well, if you guys change your minds... I've got, I've got two letters here to be read to the church, and no one will wait till we'll give somebody else a, sh a chance and see if they want that chance. All right, so a couple, uh, I mentioned uh, it's a letter, message to the seven churches, and if you were here last week, we, chapter two and chapter three are these seven messages to these churches, right? And we looked at uh, three of the different churches that were addressed then. We're going to look at two of them this week. And each of the seven messages in these two chapters, they all follow a particular form. And this form is very intentional in that it points back to chapter one, 
where we, if you were here the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we, we looked at chapter one and it's this awesome, vi- it begins with an awesome vision of who Jesus is. He is the one who is, who was, and is to come, right? And so this powerful, amazing vision of the king of kings who is, who is coming to reign and rule, who's conquered death. So that's all painted out in chapter one. And, and these letters, they point back to that. So they recognize that, hey, we're being spurred on to live a certain way. It's all because of who he is. But then it also points forward to everything else in the book. So the stuff that's addressed in this message is, it ties into all of these symbolic, crazy things that are going on that are mostly future, and, and maybe some of it, all, all the things that are throughout the rest of the book. It's all, this is setting the stage. So this is kind of the form. They, always, they all begin with, to the angel in the church in Laodicea, right? Angel in the church, we've talked about that before. I won't even get into that today, the, uh, but it's talking to the churches, right? And the words of him who, so then it's going to address Jesus a certain way. I know your works. Jesus, in this letter that's addressed, is going to let the church know, hey, I've got intimate relationship with you now. I know who you are. I know your, the, the good things that are going on. I know your struggles, but I also know your sin. I know where, I know where you're tempted, and that's going to get addressed. But I have this against you, most of the churches have a big old butt right there in the middle of the letter. But I have this against you. And we're going we're to see some of those today. Therefore, repent. This is what the letters are looking for, right? Hey, look. Important stuff is going on here. You need to change the way you live. And number six. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give. To the one who conquers. Jesus has conquered death. Jesus has already conquered death. And if you have a relationship with Christ, you are the one who conquered. But this is still, it's talking about conquering. And, and, and we've conquered once. Death is conquered in our lives. But we continue to conquer by living faithfully. There's kind of a both and there with what's going on. So this is the, these are the letters to the churches that are getting addressed. So, uh, New Year's. Anybody make it to midnight? How many of y'all made it? There you go. All right. Anybody came nowhere close, didn't really care to try. Yeah. Anybody tried to but failed? Yeah, I'm always in, da- I'm in danger of doing that. I saw a lot of funny things on Facebook about the old guys who, uh, you know, once it was no problem, but now uh, we need one, one of those Netflix countdowns that, that you can do it like three hours early, right? Probably need, but we played a, a wicked game of Catan at our house, and that kept us up. Um, whenever there's good competition, we're good to stay up a little later. Uh, I saw a picture on Facebook of a family connected to the church that, um, a picture of a a little kid who said, I just need to rest my eyes for five minutes, out cold, right, the rest of the night. Um, You know, I do that. I do that a lot. Just go rest my eyes here. I'll be good. I I used to laugh at my dad because he did that in movies, but now every movie, I see the beginning, I see the end, and um, yeah, I'm the one that's closing my eyes, and I I realize that if I'm really, if I'm going to stay awake, I got to be a lot more intentional. I'm going to wake up and enjoy this amazing thing that's going to happen. You know, saw the amazing Oklahoma State comeback yesterday. I was awake and watching that. That was so cool. And I learned my lesson because when the Big 12 championship game against Baylor, also an incredible game, that was one of those moments. I'm watching, I'm watching, and okay, final minute. And uh, they're, they're, it looks like they're going to win, and everything's great. And I'm watching the game, and I, I close my eyes, and I open my eyes, and Baylor's celebrating. I'm like, what happened? What did I miss? What's going on? Sorry to bring that up, folk fans, but I mean, it, it ties in, right? Close my eyes one minute, and I miss it. Boom, just like that. This 
message we're going to see today is a message we got to wake up. If we're going to wake up, we got to be intentional. Man, I thought I was ready for that last minute of the game. Uh Uh-uh. If you aren't being very intentional about what you're doing, blink of an eye, you missed it. Gone right past you. All those moments that could have been, that are so strategic and important and valuable, gone. If we don't wake up. Church, are we going to wake up? That's the message of Revelation. That's why we get this vision of the future, so that the church now will wake up, so there will be revival amongst the people of God. All right, so i got to get going here. Because you know what? Today we've got something very important, so we're going to get a move. All right, Nolan, you want to be our... Hold on. Did anybody want to take me up on my offer to, to, to read this passage for us today? All right. Come on, buddy. Let's see if the mic still works, even though I dropped it. Ooh, it sounds like it does. All right. This is the message to the church in Laodicea. This would have been read to the church, which is one of the reasons I'm doing it this way. And the angel of the church um, of Laodicea. Laodicea. I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong letter. See? Were you paying attention? I was paying attention. We want to do Laodicea in a minute. Wake up, Russ. There you go. Um, Sardis. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember, um, then, what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis. Yep. People have um, not unsoiled their garments, and they will walk with me in, in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out um, of the book of life. I will, com- I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Revelation 3, 1 through 6. Amen. Thank you, Nolan. Good job. All right. <clears throat> Sardis. A little bit of information about Sardis. Sardis had a great reputation. Okay. This is Patmos. This is, the, uh, this is where John was in exile when he received exile, right? Lonely, depressed, um, wondering, God, what are you even doing in the midst of this? And he gets this, uh, these are the churches that were in chapter 2, Pergamum we talked about. Here's Sardis right here on this, this cliff, right? Sardis was on a mighty, it was like a mighty fortress on a hill, and it had a reputation. Things were going well in Sardis. They were rich. They had a lot of great resources, and they were in an impenetrable fortress. They were known for the fact that you, you can't break into Sardis. I mean, you, you, know, they, they, you can mess around with them in front of their fortress, but when they get back in their fortress, they're good. They are rock solid. But then about 1600, 600 years before Jesus came, Persia was on the move. Mighty Persia, conquering, dominant, 
empire of the time, right? And uh, um, this was the empire that was uh, throughout Scripture. The, the movie 300, the same Persian army was coming in to conquer. That's all right. We're Sardis. We got this. We're good. We're in our fortress. One soldier of the Persian army was able to find a vulnerability in the back of the fortress and make his way up and then open up the gates. Boom, floodgates were open. Mighty Sardis fell. You'd think they would have learned their lesson, and this happened, I think, 400 years later, the exact same thing. All they had to do was just be ready, be awake when the enemy came, and know their vulnerabilities, and mighty Sardis would not have fallen. The context of Sardis is so important to understand this letter that was written to the church in Sardis. Wake up, God is saying to the church. Wake up. Your reputation is that you are alive, but you are dead. You are dead. So today we're going to talk about wake up church, and we're going to talk about three ways, three truths that we can discover from this passage about what does it mean to wake up. And I told you we've got important things to do today, so I'm going to watch the clock in ways that I have never watched the clock here. I always watch the clock back there. That clock's broken. Wouldn't that be fun? Oh, you fixed it? That's too bad. I, I was, that, there goes my uh, excuse. But no, okay, so we're going to have, Nolan here is going to keep me honest, okay? Because we have a very important thing to do after this service. I'm going to make sure that we stay on track. And it's not the Cowboys game. That's not until four. It's not your lunch because you know what? I know you would forego your lunch. We got something even better coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Even better than the Cowboys. Even better than your lunch. Nolan, would you please set an alarm for five minutes while we kind of look at this first point. And kids, if you're doing the word search, one of those blanks is move from death to life. If we're going to wake up, we've got to move from death to life. So what's this talking about? Well, obviously, it's talking about salvation, right? Because all people, Scripture talks, a beautiful passage in Ephesians about how we are all born dead. We are all born dead. We are dead people. You don't know that. You came out of the womb, cute little baby, and you are dead. And you were dead until you met the King of Kings, the Lord of life, who died on a cross so that you might live. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, that is the only way you move from death to life. Salvation. But is that what this is really talking about in this passage? Maybe. Maybe it's got a twofold message, right? Because it's talking to a church. Church has people who are alive church also has people sitting in the pews that think they're alive, that maybe have a reputation for being alive. Maybe they're dead. One of my favorite movies, I'm not going to reveal the name. Awesome M. Night Shyamalan movie. Some of y'all are tracking with me. I'm not revealing the name because it's on the bucket list of movies to watch with my kids when they can handle it. So we're getting closer. Uh, but this great movie came out like 20 years ago. Main character was known as somebody that you could go to him to, to understand dead people. He, you, you could actually He's somebody who would help guide you along in the land of the dead, right? And at the very end of the movie, the big reveal comes. Turns out, he was dead all along. You have no idea what movie I'm talking about. He was dead all along. Can you believe, can you imagine walking around? Can you imagine being someone that people knew to, to learn about what life is, right? And you're dead yourself. There are people in the church. I'd wager that there's people in this, in this pew here. I'm not going to, maybe not. Some you guys are here on January 2nd, but you know what? The church is all too full of people who have a reputation of life, but they are dead. But maybe there's some other things going on, because you know what? People who are alive can live like they're dead. 
Anybody seen The Walking Dead, the zombie movie? I watched the first season, I stopped. It got a little bit to be too much raunch, raw, crazy, whatever in my head. But, uh, um, but I also thought it was so fascinating because uh, you've got walkers who are dead, right? The zombies, they're dead. They're dead, dead, okay? Then you've got the people who are trying to survive the dead. But the only thing is, what the real plot of the show was that the people who were alive, some of them were living like they were dead. These were living people living like the dead. And the whole plot is like, we, we've got to be better than this in order to live. We've got to live like people who are alive and not live like people who are dead. I think that's what's being addressed here in the church. Wake up, church. You have life. Don't live like the dead. Great book. How long till my alarm goes off, Nolan? Uh, two minutes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I, uh, I was just doing a little research and uh, came across a book called Gospel Wakefulness by a guy named Jared Wilson. Not wokefulness. This is not a message about woke, pro, con, anything, whatever perception you may have on that word. This is not the term. Wakefulness. Okay? Gospel wakefulness. And he, um, he talked about, um, he used an illustration, and it reminded me of something in my office. That I was in the Army, and I mentioned that already. My very first tour of duty was in South Korea. Got to serve with South Korean soldiers. And they sold these. This is a part of the wire fence from the de- demilitarized zone, right? And the demilitarized zone is what separated the north from the south. It's what separated people that should be together as a family the way it should be. This is what separated them. This is where, this was a symbol of evil, right? And for this to be torn down, this was a symbol of hope. This was a symbol of um, working through the pain, unimaginable pain and agony in that country. And I just thought this was so cool, right? I'd been in Korea. I had a great appreciation for it, so I have it in my office. Such an interesting thing to have. And so the illustration that he shared was of the Berlin Wall, right? Anybody know about the Berlin Wall? Germany was divided. And he talked about a professor who had something like this in his office because he appreciated how important it was. He knew about it. He knew what it meant. It had great, it had value to him. But then, imagine... Um, he mentioned, well, I'll just read it. It said, in a small dingy apartment in Midwest America lives an elderly immigrant woman who sells newspapers and fresh cut flowers during the day and cleans an office building in the evenings. On an iron shelf in her bedroom sits a small idolist glass jar. And in that jar is a piece of the Berlin wall, the size of a marble. She has often held that piece of rock in her withered hand and wept all right, you're going to have to press the snooze button because I'm not ready. Y'all press, pressing snooze is okay sometimes, all right? We're going to snooze. Give me two minutes because this is one of my favorite points. Okay. She has often held that piece of rock in her withered hand and wept. Her husband did not live to see the wall come down. Her cousin was one of the estimated 5,000 people who tried to escape from the communist eastern bloc into West Berlin. He was one of the estimated 100 to 200 people killed by border guards in the attempt. He was one of those crushed by the Iron Curtain. So she is one of those who knows the unique confluence of memorial pain and joy and having intimately felt how the world once was and in having experienced how the whole world was changed. She knows what it feels like to carry an ocean full of grief and longing, what it feels like to cling to a sliver of hope, 
and what it feels like when the sliver of hope, a crack in the great barrier of darkness, breaks through, right? Gospel wakefulness, as he defines it, I like this definition too. He says, gospel wakefulness means treasuring Christ more greatly and savoring his power more sweetly. Treasuring Christ more greatly and savoring power more sweetly. Now I'll put this down right now as I throw my water and I'm going to throw everything today. The cross, right? Tell you what, it's very easy to be in the church and be saved and to appreciate the cross. But we are called to wake up and to really treasure what that cross means, the world that once was, right? And the world that will be in gospel wakefulness when we really treasure it that way, that's going to impact our lives. Wake up, church. All right. So anyways, my alarm can, uh, it's going to go off in 12 seconds. I can see that. So we're going to move on. All right. Um, and we're going to talk to the, the, the next point. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete. Thank you. All right. All right. Go ahead and turn off the alarm and reset it for five more minutes. Five minutes. Okay. Because we're going to look at point number two. Wake up, church, and move from weak to strong. We must strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete. What does that mean, works not complete? Well, I tell you what, churches across our nation, across the world, are very good about gathering, singing songs, and doing works that are important, but complete works, deeper, fuller. So how do we strengthen? Verse 3, it says, Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will know at what hour I will come against you. Three words that are very important here. Remember, keep, and repent. Though that's the key to strengthening. Remember, okay? So that means like you got to really know God's word. Remember. I mean, imagine, can you remember when you first learned the good news of salvation, right? That, that, that nuts and bolts story that Jesus died for, like just that simple gospel message, right? But the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I mean, that's the gospel right there. But this book is the full gospel story. So to remember is to go deeper in the full knowledge of that gospel story. That's how you get strengthened. And keep it. Keep it. What comes to mind there is that you have to actually, it doesn't just stay in your head. It, it's got to be a, a it's got to work through your entire way of being, your entire worldview, your entire way, your priorities, your values, right? You, you got to work out. New Year's Day. I went to the gym last week. There were a few cars there. Y'all want to know how many, how many cars are going to be in my gym next week? Uh, my, or my coach at the class I go to, she always laughs about that, like getting ready, because there's going to be a whole bunch that are going to get serious at the beginning of the year about new habits and new routines. And that's a good thing, but you've got to keep it. You've got to keep it. Otherwise, you know, what, <laughs> you, that, that gym is just taking money from you, right? You've got to keep it. You've got to work it out. And then the third one is to repent. I tell you what, I get really excited about spiritual things. You all know that. Get really excited about spiritual things, and that is easy to do, right? Yeah, let's grow in God's word, and let's do that. Talk about the gym. A couple years ago, I wasn't satisfied with how I was physically. I realized I needed to make changes. And so I started going to the gym regularly, and it started to pay off, and it felt really good, and I was getting affirmed by people, and it looked good, and I plateaued for a little while. 
not backwards, but I've plateaued. And uh, so what's the deal? Well, at first, you know, I, was, I, was, I wasn't just going to the gym. I was making habits with what I ate, ate too. And I was putting aside a lot of those goodies. When I started doing really well, I'm like, you know what? I'm doing so well here. I can, I can kind of go back to eating almost whatever I want, right? Here's the deal. In the spiritual life, yes, we're supposed to move forward, growing in God's word, good habits of discipline and prayer and Bible study. But growth will only happen if we will cut off the things, the destructive habits that were keeping us from growth. And then we're going to plateau, right? That means we have to cut off everything. And it's some things are different than you, for, for you and for me. For some people, you've got to completely cut off watching certain movies. I mentioned The Walking Dead. Maybe for some of you, that's not a, that type of stuff isn't as much, doesn't do as much to you in your head, and that's fine. But you've got to realize, what are the destructive habits to you that are keeping you from growth, right? We all need to, 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 to look inward and, and, and really assess what is keeping me from growing and being used by God. Church, we are being called to wake up, to move from weak to strong, because that strength is necessary, not just for us. Tell you what, when I made those changes, it's not just because I wanted to, I don't know, for whatever reasons for myself, it was because I wanted to be able to throw the ball with my family down, you know, 10 years from now. And, and do those types of things. And when you start seeing other people, that's the greater reason to make changes. And for our spiritual growth, it's for our God and the good of the world. All right. How am I doing, Nolan? Great. We are early. Have y'all ever gotten up before your alarm? I did this morning. It's amazing. And it wasn't just because Eleanor was awake at 530, but it must have been because, you know, when you're excited for something, sometimes you don't need that, that alarm. We're talking about making some changes and that sometimes hurt. Like sometimes you set that alarm like, oh, it's so painful, I can't do it. But then when it starts to be routine and you get used to it, you realize, you know what? This doesn't hurt as much anymore. I, I can grow and I can do this Bible study, gather with the church and take joy in it. And, and setting that alarm, not quite as painful. All right, I got 10 seconds. Otherwise, it'll ruin my illustration about not needing the alarm. Go ahead. Actually, press, just press pause. Go read the text. I'm not going to invite anybody up this time. Oh, I will read this great quote from the Gospel Wakefulness book, though. It's from a Puritan writer named Richard Sibbs. I'm glad my alarm already turned off. From a, a book called The Bruised Read, he said, Let us remember that grace is increased in the exercise of it, not by the virtue of the exercise itself, but as Christ, by his spirit flows into the soul and brings us nearer to himself, the fountain so instilling such comfort that the heart is further enlarged. Right? Grace is increased, not by the exercise of it, by, but by Christ who flows through it. So when we make these, these changes in our habits, start gathering together more, start taking disciple-making seriously, spending more time in prayer, it's not those habits in and of themselves that change us. It's because we are creating space for Jesus to flow through us. All right, we could do a whole sermon on the church in Laodicea, but uh, I'm just, we're going to just make it a third point here, and I'm going to, let me read the passage, I'll say a little bit about it, and then we'll just do a, a few minutes about making the point here, because like I said, we got something special coming up that we got to make room for. Revelation 3, 14 through 22, to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, 
and neither hot nor cold. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me cold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may, be, you may see those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That is Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 22. The third message we're going to see is wake up, church, move from me to he. Move from me to he. Now, if you have a word search, the word search generator did not like the word he because it was only two letters. So your word is Jesus. Okay. Jesus is on your word search. That's right. We have to move from me to Jesus. Move from me to he. So what do we need to know about Laodicea? Go ahead and set an alarm for five minutes for me, okay? That's all right. Go ahead and reset it. Laodicea. It's down here. It's the last of the seven churches. Why would it be last? Well, it's got a geographically, I mean, there's some very strategic reasons for it to be the last one addressed. And just note that these are all on major access ways, highways. The word would get to these churches, and it would just go out like wildfire to the rest of the known world at the time. But this is the message to Laodicea. Laodicea, they were pretty well off. I mean, they had like some of the best factories going on. They had this special black wool, so they could make some pretty good chic Garments. I've never said chic before, but I, you know it was chic in Laodicea, right? Uh, they had a medical school, and uh, it, it, it is thought that they produced their own eye salve, and it was probably pretty good eye salve. I don't know. I've, I don't know how to judge eye salve, but uh, they had a mint where they would produce their own. They had it all. They're good. We don't need anything else. Matter of fact, not too long before this, this letter was written, there was a massive earthquake that affected like this entire region. Massive earthquake. And there were funds that were offered to them from the empire at the time. They refused funds. We don't need any money. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being so dependent on yourself that you wouldn't, well, okay, so that might enter into a political, I'm not trying to enter that world, but I mean, so self-dependent. Just don't need any help. That was Laodicea. But another thing to know about Laodicea says you're neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. They had a terrible water supply. They did not have a good water supply in their town. Up to the north, though, about four miles, there was uh, a mighty cliff area where there, was, there were hot springs. And that area was known for their hot springs, still is known for their hot springs. And people would come from far and wide to go to these famous hot springs. Well, <clears throat> they would try to, they had aqueducts built to send the water to Laodicea, this hot water, this good water. But by the time it got there, it was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. Down in the south, there's Colossae. We know the book of Colossians. It's somewhere around there, I think. And they, it was like the mountain slopes, you know, like where, where you go skiing, picture that. And I mean, it, that would melt off and it would be this beautiful, refreshing, cold water, right? That was in Colossae. And they also had an aqueduct, and we'd go to Laodicea. But as you can imagine, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was no longer cold. It was lukewarm. 
So as good as they had it going, they had such a great reputation. We are self-dependent. We are good. They did not have water that could cut it. They did not have water that could satisfy. They were lukewarm. So what's going on here? You are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. They were so dependent on themselves. And, and, and Jesus is saying in this message, you need to stop depending on yourself. You need to stop we're good at fooling ourselves, right? God is working so great through our church. Thank you, God, for doing all this. But you know what? A couple days, a couple days down the road, all of a sudden, we, we may be praising God, but we're I did this. Look what I can do. Look what Houston Church can do. Look what the church in the United States of America, look, look what we can do, right? That is a daily tension in my head to remember, you know what? Russ didn't do this. It was by the grace of God, God working through me. I've got to remind myself over and over and over again. And clearly that attitude had seeped into the church of Laodicea. <clears throat> the message to them said, oh, there it is. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizes you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Which, what an interesting assortment of words. Well, this was very intentional, the words that were chosen. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. Gold refined by fire. They believed that they were rich. They needed nothing. You aren't rich. Your wealth, can you imagine? What if I were to hand you a $5 bill, crisp, green, United States, $5 bill, or $100 Monopoly money? What would you take? That's a dumb question. But Laodicea, you know what they're taking? Ooh, $100. I want the $100 Monopoly money. This looks good. No, there isn't real wealth behind that. I'll tell you what, we start fooling ourselves. We think, I did this. I, I don't need to, I don't have time for prayer. I've got all these cool things to put together. We're, we're just taking that Monopoly money. And Jesus says, I want to give you this in abundance. We have to stop fooling ourselves, church. It says, buy from me. The next one is, um, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. I'll come back to that. And salve to anoint your eyes, right? We start seeing the world. We study God. All right, I'm going to need two minutes. All right, two minutes of, uh, there we go. We're going to do this one more time, and we'll get moving. Perception. When we're in God's word, we are good. When we start putting God's word aside and start spouting truth of, as if it was spiritual, lukewarm. We're deceiving ourselves. We're depending on our own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes, the proverb says. But I love this middle one here. God wants to clothe ourselves with garments of white to cover our nakedness, to cover our shame. Where have we heard that language before? Does that sound familiar? People covering themselves? Adam and Eve. Y'all know this. Adam and Eve. I love that story. If I, I always thought it was so weird. Why are they talking about them being naked? Why you even got to say they were naked? Boy, there's some deep stuff there. Sorry, kids, but I'm, there's some deep stuff going on there, right? They sinned, and all of a sudden, they, were, they realized their vulnerability and their shame, and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves. Fig leaves will never be adequate to cover our shame and our vulnerability and our sin and all the stuff we wrestle with. Yet day by day, I, try, I just reach in and try to cover myself with fig leaves. Laodicea, they, God offered them 
white garments to cover themselves. Nah, I'll take the fig leaves. A lot easier. Don't have to get emotionally invested. Right? Doesn't take time, doesn't take energy. I'll take the fig leaves. Fig leaves won't cut at church. We've got to receive what comes from God. And from the very beginning, they didn't walk out of their fig leaves because God in his grace gave them garments. And how did, they, how did those garments, how were they produced? What had to happen in order to, for those garments to be made? Someone had to die. Or an animal in that case had to die. And that was pointing to Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins, the sacrifice, so that our sin and our shame could be covered. That was the once for all. We are alive people. We are not dead. If you have received, all right, that's going off. I'm wrapping up, and then we're going to just make the last point. Okay, if we have received the gift of God in our lives, okay, but then why do we keep choosing the fig leaves? Wake up, church. Move from me to he. And so in review, this is a message of revival. We got to wake up, church. We got to move from death to life. Move from weak to strong. Move from me to he. And why is it important? Because we got a wedding feast to prepare for. If you were here a couple weeks ago, I got to preach from Revelation chapter 19. All, the end of Revelation is pointing to the fact that, yes, things are going to get worse, but God is preparing us for something beautiful. And that day will only come when the gospel is spread to the whole world, and that happens through his people. So the church has to wake up because we've got to prepare for this wedding feast, intimacy with God. One of the best verses in the Bible and one of my top three favorite passages of awesome verses that get mis misused all the time is Revelation 3.20. I love crushing hopes and dreams with that. We use it for salvation. Because it works so well with salvation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my vo voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, well, yeah, and he with me. Open, oh, God is knocking. Open the door, let him in. Yes, that works for salvation. But what's it? this is talking to the church? This is talking to Christians. Talking to people who have life. Yet we shut that door. God is knocking. Wake up, open the door from him. Stop trying to do it all in our own efforts and our own ways because God wants to come in and feast with us and be with us. This passage, that idea of feasting with God is all throughout scripture. In the Garden of Eden, God, Adam and Eve walked with God. You can imagine the amazing feast that was going on and then that was broken. End of Revelation. We are preparing for a wedding feast with God. Well, all sin is broken. Well, it, is the, it is the greatest feast, an enduring feast, the bride, his church, with God. And in the meantime, we live faithfully. And we've been given this. Jesus, in his final night on earth, before he was going to die on the cross, he gathered with his closest friends. And they ha had what, what we now call as communion, the Lord's Supper. He broke bread and said, this is my body, broken for you. Do you feel the intimacy of that? He was with his closest friends, sharing his love, knowing he was about to die. This bread was broken for you, because I love you, and want to, to experience that great feast with you one day. And then he took the cup, representing the blood that would be shed on the cross, and this cup represents the new covenant, the new covenant that we can be alive in Christ, all sins forgiven, and be with God for eternity. So that's what we remember when we participate in communion. So that's how we're going to close today.
Despite my alarm clocks, I did what I do on a normal day where I press snooze about five times and get up about 10 minutes later and I play them on, but that's all right. We still have time to do what is really important today and to remember what Jesus did for our cross. And so we're going to take communion together as a church. We remember what he has done, but we also remember what he is doing and will do. May it be a wake-up call to us. May we not be like that professor that kind of hung the gospel on the wall. This is good stuff, y'all. No, we need to be like that lady who lived through it and recognizes the beauty and majesty of the cross. And as you partake in the elements today, may you be gripped by the love of Jesus, the love he has for you and the love he wants to, to extend to the world through you. May that be on your heart as we, as we journey into 2022 together. So we got three tables up front. We got one table in the back. Jared's going to lead us in a time of, of con- contemplation and worship here for as, as long, well, not as long as need be, no longer than like 10 minutes, but enough time for whoever to come forward and partake in the elements. The tables are open to whoever has trusted in Christ as Lord and sa- Savior. It's for the church. It's for those who are alive in Christ. If you're wrestling with anything and you don't think it's appropriate time, just spend the time in prayer and be with God in this time. Kids, love for you to come forward with your parents and learn about what, what happened with this cup and this bread. Parents, just know that um, if you believe your child has trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior, they are, we invite them and we encourage them to partake in the elements. Not sure? Don't think so? Teach them. Pray with them. And uh, once we've concluded, Jared's going to conclude the service for us. I will be back up here with my bribes for whoever wants to partake. There you go. The alarm's going off. Thank you, Nolan, my alarm master. Wake up, church. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you for who you are, how you love us, and what you have called us to. May we wake up. May there be revival in our hearts and revival in our church for your glory this year. May we stop depending on ourselves. May we depend on you. May we stop just, just sitting back on our reputation, but may we be real about our relationship with you. May we grow as disciples and disciple makers this year for your glory.